His Love Christian Fellowship is excited to share this podcast with you. We hope you enjoy this message. And your love forever. new iPad trying to figure out what to do with it. Um, let's just pray. Lord God, I just thank you for tonight, and I thank you, Lord God, for my phone that keeps going off. Lord God, I just, um, we just lift up Ron and Teresa right now, Lord God, as they have decisions to make, and that's actually what that text is, is, Lord God, I'm just asking that tomorrow, Lord God, even as Tony prays with the kids, and Lord God, we just, we start it right now, Lord God, we just ask for a blessing of peace over them, Lord God, peace beyond all understanding, Lord God, and an ability, Lord God, to just sit in your presence and have decisions just fall in their lap. Lord God, that it would be easy, that it would be stress-free. I know that's crazy saying that, but Lord God, I am asking, Lord God, I am declaring, Lord God, a spirit of peace in those rooms with them as they, they have all the meetings and they, and they meet with all the people and they do what they got to do up there, Lord God. I declare peace over them. Lord God, I'm asking that your spirit would go before them, behind them, Lord God, and just fill every room, every specialist every test lord god that you would just be there in the very midst of them and that there would be uh just a supernatural presence of you that is with them in jesus name lord god i'm asking that you help this to be clear tonight as well which feels a lot less important now um so lord um What does it, I, I guess I'm just going to get right in. What does it mean to partner with God? Teresa has kind of made that statement a few times here in the last few months. And um, to be honest, I never really quite grasped what it meant. There's just that inside of me thing of, you know, what can I do to partner with God that could ever affect the outcome of my health, finances, family issues? Whatever that thing is, we need to see answers to. It just didn't, I didn't grasp it. And, you know, I, I understand the, the health side of it. You know, you partner with God in your health and how you eat and, you know, to keeping healing and stuff like that. But it still just never, it wasn't clicking. I wasn't quite understanding in my own mind because it just felt like it was works to me is what it felt like. It felt like I was trying to do something to achieve. And, but I, as I was praying about it, I felt like the Lord told me that, it had more to do with the posture of my heart than I had to do with anything. That will always, you know, the posture of your heart will always result in physical action, whether it's diet or attitude. It requires um, that that position, the positioning of your heart, in order to partner with God. It has to do with surrendering how how or what we think to this to the solution, to the problems, the direction in our lives. So, obviously, we always have these things we do in our lives, and we think, this is the way it's going to happen, all right? Josh thought they were going to file their paperwork for the business state. Bada-bing, bada-boom, is going to get built, done. And that's not been the case. <laughs> Pretty close, you know, a few filings. Um, I, I thought that we would magically get a loan, build the ha- do things our house, and that would be the end of it. We started that in August. Here we are in 
into February, 1st of March, and still nothing. Uh, we did finally refinance, but nowhere near what we thought it was going to be. All right, so we have these these things in our lives that we just assume that they're going to be okay magically. This you know it's going to work like this, and there's a timeline and there's a positioning and it's just magically going to go from point A to point B and it's all going to work out in the end, you know, and it's going to be easy. And you know, I thought that once. I've never thought that again. Um, but really, it's not just the positioning of our heart. It's a laying down of our opinions. It's a laying down of how we think a situation is going to go. It's a laying down of how we approach the situation. It, it literally is a laying down of our opinions and how we think. Um, you know, you can find throughout the Bible, obviously, multiple places and things of people partnering with God. You know, you got Moses and you know, the Lord told him, you know, I, I'm not an eloquent speaker. You go speak, I'll fill your mouth. Eh, I'm still not an eloquent speaker. How about somebody else? And it said the Lord was angry with Moses, and he picked Aaron, and Aaron walked in, and Aaron was Moses' mouthpiece, and Moses was as to God to Aaron. You know, we have Elijah building an altar. We have all these things. You know, I think of Elijah and building the altar and calling down fire. What he had to be thinking in the process of doing that, you know, in the, in the back of his mind, <laughs> are you serious? This is what we're going to do? i got all these prophets of Baal behind me and around me and me, and this is how this is going to go. You know, maybe that's just me and my lack of confidence, but in the back of my mind, I have to think Elijah was still human. There had to be that thing in the back of his mind that was just like, eh, okay, let's see, let's do this. Let's see what happens. But he partnered with God. He also ran like crazy because he was scared to death of Jezebel, so... I mean, that proves that he was somewhat human. But the Lord led me to Esther, and I thought, Esther? So I thought maybe I would watch, you know, what's that movie, One Night with a King, and I'd be, I'd be golden. I wouldn't have to actually read it, but then don't do that. It doesn't work that way. So then as I read, I started to see both Mordecai and Esther partnered with God. There was also an underlying theme as I was as I was reading it, you know, I was just studying it of a generational work and a spirit of honor in how they they did things. There's a lot of scripture, so I apologize, but I got a lot of stuff here there to go through. So right out of the gate, Esther two five through seven, there was a certain Jew in Shushan, the palace, whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jer, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjaminite, Benjamite who had been carried away from Jerusalem with the captives that had been carried away with Jeconi, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away. And he brought up Hadassah, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother, and the maiden was fair and beautiful. And when her father and mother were dead, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. I mean, right out of the gate, Mordecai, I've read that three different times, and I've read it three different ways in my head. I can't decide if Mordecai was captured and brought back or if Mordecai's family was captured and brought back, but bottom line is Mordecai was a captive in a foreign land. Esther's parents, dead, right, gone. And it would, it would be easy to say at this point that Esther probably hasn't had the best of childhoods. She's lost her parents. She's being raised by her uncle, an uncle who was carried away by Nebuchadnezzar, 
I mean, really think about it, girls. Being raised by your uncle. I mean, every family has the crazy uncle. I like to think I'm not that one, but every family has the crazy uncle. All right. Just imagine your uncle raising you as a young child and being brought up. There, you know, to being raised to be a girl and have an uncle raise you. I know that was probably custom and that's how that worked, but just think about that just for a minute. You've not only lost your parents, you have an uncle, a man who's raising you. I think that would, to me, that would be strange. Especially if I was a girl, that would be strange. So what we don't see in any of this is, is bitterness or anywhere else in the book, for that matter. You don't ever really hear or see Esther or Mordecai be bitter in any situation. Um, so it came to pass when the king's commandment and his decree was heard, and when many maidens were gathered together under Shushan the palace to the custody of Haggai, that Esther was taken in the king's house to the custody of Haggai, keeper of the women. Esther had not made known her, and I, I'm kind of skipping here. That was Esther 2, 8, and here we go, Esther 10 through 11. Esther had not made known her people nor her kindred, for Mordecai had charged her that she should not make it known, and Mordecai walked every day before the court of the women's house to know how Esther did and what would become of her. You know, first of all, Esther um, and Mordecai, neither one, fought the fact that she was taken. I mean, maybe maybe I've been polluted by Hollywood, but those typically weren't pleasant things to happen. And, you know, you see that fairy tale type stuff. And I, I can't imagine that was a pleasant thing, right? There, there are foreign people in a foreign land, even though they've been there for a while. And the king's guards come and take them, take her. As a dad, over my dead body. So, but it doesn't say anything about Mordecai fighting. And it doesn't say anything about Esther fighting. It says later that Esther found favor in the eyes of one of the eunuchs and received beauty treatment above and beyond the others. She didn't get that by being bitter or dishonoring. She embraced the situation. She partnered with God. She took a situation that wasn't pleasant, that, that I mean, that wasn't, um, I mean, I see what Leanne does sometimes in, you know, quote unquote beauty treatments and that doesn't look very pleasant. I can just imagine, you know, whatever this is, a thousand BC, 2000, whatever it is. And some of the beauty treatments, they were scraping and poking and prodding. And so not only, you know, these beauty treatments probably weren't all that much fun. She's also not with her family. She's also taken away. But she was favored. But if you read through there, she took the advice of, of um, it might have been he guy, I can't remember, or Haggai or whatever it's called. But she took his advice, you know, on how to go into the king. So she had a, um, she was teachable because she was able to take that advice in a situation that probably wasn't all that pleasant. Um, Esther also uncle, honored her uncle by listening to his advice. You know, it says she never, you know, she never revealed what, what, who she was, that she was a Jew because her uncle had told her that. You know, she could have been bitter towards him for not fighting for her. Um, she could have been bitter for the situation she was in. But it was amazing to me that there's no mention of anything re remotely close to that. I mean, it says she followed what her uncle had asked her to do, 
and that was not to reveal herself as a Jew. And Mordecai walked every day before the court of the women's house to know how Esther did and what would become of her. So here he is walking back and forth in front of the in front of the palace, in front of the, the, where the women are kept. And every day he went out there. He was faithful, it said. And, and don't tell me he wasn't out there praying, that he wasn't doing that walk back and forth on his face, doing a prayer walk every day for, for how she was doing, her, her well-being. I mean, he, he was on a prayer walk, if there ever was such a thing, in my opinion. He said he went there to see how she was doing. But we know based on how the, how the story reads, that he most definitely was a man of God. I mean, just the sackcloth and ashes and just how he was doing the, the things that he did in there. It, so at this point in their life, Mordecai's been captured and taken to a foreign land. Esther's parents are gone. She's been kidnapped to be at best queen and at worst a concubine. So, you know, she's in this competition, and you know, the fairest one wins. But, I mean, there was a chance she, she was going to spend the rest of her life as a concubine back in the, back with the rest of them in the house. And, and basically, her life was likely over at this point, basically. I mean, she, wasn't, she didn't have family. She didn't have any of that stuff. And she was going to be relegated to a mistress is what she was going to be relegated to. The king loved Esther more than all the other women, and she obtained grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins. So he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. So, ta-da, she's queen. Everything will be okay, right? It's officially a fairy tale story, and Hallmark was looking to buy the rights right off the bat. You know, we had a Hallmark movie waiting to happen here. So, you know, we've, we've partnered with God. We've overcame tragedy. We walked in honor survive the story and we have a happy happily ever after ending right no here comes haman then haman said to king asuras yeah sure there is a certain people scattered and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of your kingdom their laws are different from all the other peoples and they do not keep the king's laws therefore it is not fitting for the king to let them remain if it pleases the king, let a decree be written that they be destroyed, and I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who do the work to bring into the king's treasuries. When Mordecai learned of all that had happened, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went into the midst of the city. He cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went as far as the front of the king's gates, for no one might enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. And in every province where the king's command and decree arrived, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting, weeping, wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. So here we are. We have Haman. He's, he, hates, he hates Mordecai. He's called him out. He wants him dead. Not only does he want him dead, he wants everybody that remotely related to Mordecai gone. All right? So... You know, we're we're paraphrasing just a little bit, but the enemy has officially played all his cards. It's it's out there. We know what he wants. We know what he's he's aiming for. He wants the Jews dead. He thinks that he has the upper hand, and now is the time to destroy the Jews. The Jews are running scared. There is weeping and wailing. Surely he has won. 
What he doesn't realize is that the weeping and wailing surely had to be intercession. He has officially woken a sleeping giant. He's woken a group of people that have they've begun to, to, to fast and pray. Esther has been partnering with God, serving the king, walking humbly, and embracing the situation. A little further down in the chapter, um, Mordecai told them to answer Esther, Do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise from the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me. Neither eat nor drink for three days. My maids and I will fast likewise. And so I will go to the king, which is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. You know, in my opinion, Esther finally realized that, you know, this was, you know, we're always looking for our identity and our destiny. You know, it it clicked. Ah, my call. I have found my call, right? She has nothing to lose, and it's time to walk in what she has been learning. The entire population of Jews is fasting and praying. All right, so, you know, most everybody knows how the story goes, but mind you, she hasn't entered, she or she hasn't presented anything to the king yet. And here's what happens when we maintain a posture of humility and honor with the Lord. It had to be a sign to Esther that there was favor in front of her to be grabbed. And what I mean by that is before she ever goes to meet, or before she ever goes before the king, Esther 6, 10 through 11 says, Then the king said to Haman, you know, Haman, the king's asking Haman, what would you do to a man that, you know, has protected me? You know, basically he has shown me honor. And Haman thanks it's him, and he gives him this big, long spiel of these things he should do. The king said to Haman, hurry and take the robe and the horse, as you have suggested, and do so for Mordecai the Jew, who sits within the king's gate. Leave nothing undone of all that you have spoken. So Haman took the robe and the horse and arrayed Mordecai and led him in a horseback through the city square and proclaimed before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. This is before she ever, so they're fasted, they've prayed, Haman thinks he's going to get honored. All of a sudden, Mordecai's drugged through the city, or I'm sorry, he wasn't drugged. He was um, escorted through the city as as royalty, basically. I mean, that's what that was a sign of. That was a sign of royalty. And it had to be a sign to Esther that there was favor in front of her to be grabbed. He puts a robe on you and make the very enemy that hates your soul parade you around like a king. This real, this is the word of the Lord for this season, and I believe this wholeheartedly. And I think it goes great with what Jason shared Sunday about the 125%, about, you know, the, the, the getting back. There are those that have walked humbly before the Lord and taken lump after lump, and it is now time for the enemy to be forced to pay back what he's taken and then some. Um as I as I was reading this and typing it, it just it really struck me that you know we have our situations in our lives, we have these things that are hard. It's not been an easy season. I don't think anybody would say that it has been. 
and we've been able to persevere. We've stayed humble. We've not well, – I've complained. I'm not going to lie. I haven't. But we try not to complain. And but, – but the key is, is that just as the enemy thinks he's got you, you know, we've united, we've prayed, we've stood together. And now it is time for the enemy to just think he's about to, to win and then for us to be escorted through the town as royalty, as sons and daughters of the king. And that all happens in a, in a position, in a, in a posture of, of honor and, and in a posture of partnering with the Lord as far as how we view the situation we're in, right? We can view the situation as it's done, it's over, and we've lost, right? There's not, there's not going to be any reconciliation. There's not going to be anything to change in our situation. And, but that's not what the Lord's saying. The Lord's saying it's time. I mean, I, I just, I say it and I believe it in my heart of hearts. I just know it for some reason that it's time. It's time for, you know, well, some of the words we were getting, the suddenlies. I never did read that word on Esther list, Esther list but, or uh, Elijah list, sorry, I'm on Esther. Um, <laughs> but, so here we go, where was I at? I lost my spot, sorry. All right, thus shall it be done of the man whom the king delights to honor. Esther has done nothing at this point but be Esther. Uh, I already read that part. Esther presents her argument in a humble way. She comes before the king. He extends the scepter, so she doesn't. She doesn't. She doesn't have to die today. And he says, "You know what you want." And he actually says, "I'll give you everything up to half your kingdom." Right? And she just says, "You know, I want to prepare a meal for you and your servant Haman." And she does it. So. Esther presents her argument in a very humble way. She didn't, she didn't ask for anything. She just wanted to cook a meal. Now keep in mind that Vashti was kicked out for not coming. Vashti, the, the queen, the, the former queen, kicked out for not coming to the king while he, was, while he was with his highest ranking people in his kingdom. And it says that Haman was promoted and was above all of those high ranking people. So when he, was, when he had called for Vashti, because she was so beautiful and he wanted to present her before these, these basically these lords within his, I don't know how about you, within his kingdom. And she didn't come and he was upset. Haman was said to be above and over all of those lords. So basically he was his vice president, his right-hand man. I don't know how else you would put it, but he was as close to the king as you get. And so she had to have known that in the back of her mind that she was going before him. He was with somebody that he obviously thought a lot of. Um, he obviously valued these lords, what these lords would have thought. You know, Vashti didn't, didn't come when called. And now Esther was, Esther would enter the court without being called. She would have barged in. She could have barged in, right? She had this heavy thing. She's, if I perish, I perish, you know. If I perish, I perish, right? You know, she could have barged in and said, do you know what you allowed this dirtbag to get away with and what he's getting ready to do to my people? 
and myself. But she doesn't. She said, I'm going to prepare a table for you, Haman, come eat. Could you prepare a table for your enemy and then sit and eat with him and then do it again, knowing he wanted to kill everything you hold dear? She was humble and honoring. You know, we all know the rest of the story. She says, Haman, you know, Haman is killed. Um, but her embracing the situation resulted in so much more and how she handled herself. He allowed her and Mordecai to write the laws themselves and gave them the ring to stamp it. They were given the power of the king and to do with it what they wanted. They could have wrote any law that they wanted and, and how they wrote it. And it says, uh, by these letters, the, kings, the king permitted the Jews who were in every city to gather together and protect their lives to destroy, kill, and annihilate all the forces of any people or province that would assault them, both little children and women, to plunder their possessions. That's what, um, you know, they were able to protect themselves. They didn't say, we're going to go out and kill everybody that doesn't like us. They just want to be able to protect themselves. So they get an opportunity to write the law. They're given the power of the king. They write the law to protect themselves. So Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal apparel of blue and white with a great crown of gold and a garment of fine linen and purple. And the city of Shushan rejoiced and was glad. The Jews had light and gladness, joy and honor. And in every province and city, city rather the king's command, wherever the king's command and decree came, the Jews had joy and gladness a feast and a holiday, that many of the people of the land became Jews because the fear of the Jews fell upon them. <clears throat> By our willingness to embrace the situation, I say embrace, I don't say accept, right? I don't, I don't say accept a hard or bad situation. I say embrace it. Not only did Mordecai and Esther receive the honor due them, but the Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor. So you, you have these two people that have been it had to have not been fun to take this situation walk in it in humility to continue to go low to 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 embrace the situation you know partner with god and they brought joy and honor and gladness to the entire people group the entire people group was able to celebrate based solely on their willingness to partner with god and something that could likely have not ended well so much that they continue to celebrate that today with Purim. The thing about partnering with God is that we don't actually see the end of the story. We're in the midst of the chapter of our we are in the midst of a chapter of our lives that is either good or not, but we haven't read the final chapter. We can embrace the situation we are we are in by partnering with God. By that I mean we have to believe that he has a better plan for us than we know or what the present situation says the outcome is. We are called to minister out of the situations we survive. That's what they did. They ministered out of the situation that they literally survived. You can't come talk to me about how to raise kids if you don't have any or how to deal with the stress of a job and decision-making when you don't have to make decisions. Our best attribute we have to give one another is by giving out of what we have been given. That is partnering with God by definition. 
That is posturing our hearts in a humble position that says at some point I will be able to give out of the victory. But there isn't victory if there isn't battle. Have we put ourselves in a position to partner with God by walking in honor and humility in the situations in our lives? Situations where it would be easier to throw our hands up and wonder where God is and how we got in such a place and begin to question our own walk and destiny with the Lord. Or have we embraced it, continue to push, continue to take a stance on the other, continue to take a stance that on the other side of this, regardless of how hard it is, there is a victory and an opportunity to give. Um, out of, you know, we've had some tough kids, you know, Nathan's 17, so we're not, by no means are we done, but we've had some opportunities to to fight through some battles with kids and in different things and out of every one of them opportunities we've had we've been able to share give you know we've had financial issues that that have crippled us at times that we've been able to share and give out of so the things you're going through now whether it seems like it's positive or not is an opportunity later down the road to give and that is partnering with the Lord. That is taking something that is meant to be a mess and using it for good. That is taking something and being able to minister out of it and give someone else hope in the midst of their hopelessness. That is what what I feel like the Lord showed me is partnering with God just out of all that is that we have an ability through our lives and through the situations we're in to survive it. You know, right? We have an obligation to survive it and then give out of that. So that's what I have tonight. Um. Lord God, I just come before you and I just lift up tonight. Lord God, I'm just asking that you would uh, help us all to embrace where we're at and the things we're in. And if it's good and, and easy where we're at, praise God. And if it's not, Lord, we praise you anyway. And Lord God, we praise you for the ability to be able to give out of our hard situations. We praise you for the ability to, to once the, we give out of that victory and out of that battle, Lord God, I just thank you. And Lord God, we, I bless you. And I just ask that you would just do that work in us in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this message. Jesus.